Hey folks, Jeff Salzman here. Welcome to The Daily Evolver on Tuesday, October 10th, 2017. I need to mute that. And uh, today I want to, uh, you know, just look at some of the headlines and um, especially as it relates to what I see and feel is sort of the worm turning once again on Trump as the systems of a modern government, uh, that is a, a government where power is distributed, is not just resisting, but actively opposing this most pre-modern and indeed pre-traditional president. Uh, you know, we've, we've, we've sort of had a series of bad realizations about Donald Trump. I, I think everybody, including his, most of his supporters, realize that he's a crude bully. And for, you know, his core supporters, they like that about him. Uh, and then the next level of concern is about is there anything that's actionable legally about this? Did he or did he not collude with the Russians to throw the election and uh, a number of other charges that Mueller and his team are investigating and that beat goes on. But there feels like there's a new um, arising of the questioning of his fitness for office. And not just among liberals, we've known it from day one. <laughs> but among the mainstream, and uh, particularly mainstream Republicans, and just how dangerous it is to have somebody who's unfit in that office, the presidency of the United States. And of course, all of this is really brought into focus by the interview that Senator Bob Corker did, Senate Republican, very conservative, one of Trump's earliest supporters in the Senate, Bob Corker from Tennessee, Republican, and his interview with the New York Times where on Sunday, where he uh, said that he thought Trump's, as he put it, reckless threats towards other countries could set the nation on the path to World War III. And that's a big language. You know, that's not just, um, you know, a resistance. That's an active um, uh, opposition. And he also said that aside from a few, all the other senators agree. And <clears throat> it, I think it's very significant. In fact, as significant as Corker's um, comment itself is the fact that these senators <laughs> haven't really uh, objected to that characterization. They haven't denied it. In fact, they've, uh, you know, from McConnell to Lamar Alexander and a, and a bunch of the sort of mainstream Republicans have put out statements about how you know, Bob Corker is a very fine senator, very fine man of the highest integrity, all of that good stuff. Very little defense of Trump, no defense of Trump. Uh, even Pence, I thought, Vice President Pence issued a statement that um, where he defended Trump by saying there's no amount of criticism at home can diminish Trump's accomplishments on the international stage. But uh, I think it was uh, uh, sort of uh, important that and notable that Pence did not name or denounce Corker, even though, of course, Trump was denouncing him in tweets, uh, you know, nonstop. Uh, and this, as I said, represents a mainstreaming of a view long held by liberals. Uh, you know, we liberals, and it's interesting to sort of feel these stages of development, these world spaces that we exist in. I mean, 
liberals have a visceral repulsion to Trump. We can't believe he's there. You know, our, our, all our alarms go off, all our sensors beep and, and blink. And, uh, and I love, one of my favorite characterizations by an unabashed liberal is from Richard Cohen. And this was from his column <laughs> that he wrote on the occasion of Trump's inauguration as president of the United States back in January. And he wrote in the Washington Post, Donald Trump is a one-man basket of deplorables. He's a braggart and a liar. He's a bully and a demagogue. He's an ignoramus, a deadbeat and a chiseler. He is either a sincere racist or an insincere one. And I love this last sentence. And his love for himself is matched only by my loathing of him. Isn't that great? And, and we see this, you know, we see uh, uh, that mainstreaming into the moderate middle. Uh, morning Joe at this point, uh, the show on NBC, three-hour show every morning, starring Joe Scarborough, who used to be a Republican, still considers himself a conservative. But on his show with Mika Brzezinski, it is just an operating assumption of virtually all of the guests that Trump is unfit, and they use that word for office. They uh, uh, re resist uh, labeling him a psychopath or a sociopath or anything like that. And they say, we're go not going to do that, but he is unfit and that's where they use. Um, Politico had an article, I guess yesterday on how his staff constantly tries to manage and contain him, distract him. Uh, Corker talked about that. And you get the sense that the Senate is getting a sense of its real responsibility here and that there's actually not just, you know, kind of disappointment that this guy isn't presidential and, and the sort of discouragement that comes from the fact that nothing's getting done and their agenda is not getting pursued, but it's moved to real fear you know, that this guy could careen out of control and in Corker's word, world uh, words take us to World War III. That's, uh, you know, sobering. And, you know, it, it's, it's from an integral perspective, from an evolutionary perspective, it's fun, interesting, encouraging to see this machine of the modern government, like white blood cells begin to surround this guy. And, you know, one of the key realizations of modernity out of traditionalism is that power needs to be divested from the big guy, from the warlord, from the king or queen, uh, the sovereign, and distributed from one person into this system that is actually designed to fight, where power is distributed among bodies that can metabolize the natural contentions and conflicts of human beings. And, and this is, you know, we're always like, why are they fighting and why can't they get along and why can't they get anything done and all of that good stuff. And the truth is, although, you know, there is increased polarization, which from an evolutionary perspective, is also a stage of the path. That's another topic for another day, but let's just, uh, suffice it to say that the system is supposed to fight 
and that the Senate is supposed to resist. It is a co-equal branch of government in, in the House with the president that is supposed to resist uh, his worst, always his, he so far, his worst impulses. And, you know, people criticize Corker as only saying this because he's quitting uh, and he's, he's resigning from the Senate after this term. And I'm sure that's true in, a, in part, but I wonder why he's quitting. And is he quitting because he's running or thinking of running against Trump uh, to take away the nomination in 2000, whatever it is, 16, um, if he's not gone sooner? And that would be a plausible way for a moderate Republican to, to go, because even amongst Trump's supporters, and I think of uh, a couple of my relatives back home, we, we were just visiting there, and they're both Trump supporters. And the guy, my uncle, is uh, all about, you know, Trump is, you know, go get him, yeah, bomb throwing, and, you know, punch those liberals in the nose. And his wife is more like, I know he's a pig, and he turns my stomach, and I can't believe he's there, but maybe he'll get something good done, and um, at any rate, he's not Hillary Clinton. So, you know, there you have it, that sort of, that bomb throwing versus Main Street Republicans, and the Main Street Republicans are movable here, and they, uh, you know, if they... They're actually, they want the system to uh, be healthy. They don't want to dismantle the system willy-nilly or recklessly. And so there is a lane for a, uh, a, a Republican who gets out in front. And it's interesting. Cork is an interesting choice because he was one of the first Republican senators to support Trump. And so he actually even has credibility, if he plays it right, among the sort of People, the people who are, you know, the most uh, died in the wool Trump supporters. So anyway, as we move to this new standard, not of did he do something illegal, which is, you know, the high crimes and misdemeanors, the impeachment. That's a long process. It's very political. We move to this, um, this, this standard of unfitness, which brings in a new constitutional remedy. Uh, the 25th Amendment of the Constitution, which says that the vice president, together with the majority of the principal officers of the executive departments, that is, the vice president with the majority of the cabinet members, cabinet uh, heads, can remove the president for being unable to, to discharge the powers and duties of his office. And that may be... Uh, where we would go with this in terms of a removal in advance of 2016. Now that's again, a long process because it has to be voted on in the Senate and there'd be a whole legal thing. And, you know, lawyers would come on both sides and, and so forth. But in the meantime, there's another sort of de facto remedy that I see already happening. It's not removal. Uh, for the high crimes or the unfitness, but it is just the, basically the marginalization of Trump, the selectively ignoring him, where, um, you know, apparently he'll sign, 
sign any law. So, you know, if they could actually pass one, uh, you know, he wouldn't be a problem. Uh, and, you know, the, 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 the government can kind of run uh, as the, the, the far right uh, often says the government's sort of run by the deep state anyway. And there's truth to that. That's the, what, you know, their word for the bureaucracy that just keeps grinding along. But the rub, the, the real problem is that the, we have this military chain of command and that the executive, the president, is the uh, commander in chief, the top of the chain of command. And that the chain of military command is uh, not um, designed to, uh, for checks and balances. It's designed for speed. And uh, I don't know if any of you saw it, but there was a, a segment on 60 Minutes not long ago where the head of the nuclear, um, uh, the, the, the nu nuclear arm of the military who would actually carry out the, the um, order of the president to launch nukes says that it's basically a four minute process from when the president orders it to when the nukes fly. And um, so that's, of course, a big worry. But, you know, countering that is sort of a realization that also comes online with modernity, is that the chain of command, first of all, is not a suicide pact. So, you know, reason has to intervene here. And that realization that really dawned this, this idea of when to disobey the chain of command, uh, the idea of war crimes in general uh, started arising at least in the United States history after the Civil War and after World War I and so forth. And it was really codified after World War II in Nuremberg where it was declared illegal to execute crimes against peace or wars of aggression. And that was actually a charge that was leveled against Bush in Iraq, uh, but also crimes against humanity. And that these crimes are considered to apply to all leaders, organizers, instigators, and accomplices involved in planning and committing these crimes. And so we have to hope certainly, and I think have some confidence that whether it's Mattis, General Mattis, the Secretary of Defense, or General Kelly, the Chief of Staff, or good old Rex Tillerson at the State Department who called. <laughs> I guess there's some debate about what he called uh, Trump. Was it a, a moron or a fucking moron? I, I heard that argued both ways. But <laughs> that these guys are not going to go down in history as abetting a nuclear conflagration. Um, you know, they're not even going along with the transgendered ban. And they're, you know, again, it's sort of distracting Trump with a shiny object and studying it until he forgets about it. Uh, so, and it's also hard to get, you know, even if Mattis is replaced or, you know, it's hard to get the whole chain of command to go along with um, crimes against humanity. I mean, one of the things that, uh, dictators in um, uh, developing countries, you, you see it happening in Venezuela, that Maduro can't quite get the military and the police forces to oppress the people in the way that he'd like. He has his own militias 
who do some of the violence. And that's typical of uh, this sort of hybrid of tyranny versus um, some semblance of democracy and in various countries where the autocrat will have his own private army. But, um, but you know, here in a stable democracy, you'll, you won't get the army to fire on its own citizens. Now, the, um, ex- the, the, the one example of that, uh, you might say exception to that, that happened in America, of course, was um, Kent State back in, I believe, 1968, where the uh, National Guard fired on uh, demonstrators at Kent State University and killed several of them, wounded several of them. And it, it's, it's, in a sense, the exception that proves the rule because there was such an outcry among people, middle-class people who sent their kids to college and yeah, they went a little crazy and they were demonstrating and throwing shit, but they got shot and killed. And that was an existential nose rub into, you know, the responsibilities of modern military. And, you know, I think we can, again, certainly hope for that, hopefully count on that. Uh, But that, while that covers us, it doesn't necessarily cover the other people. And I think of, you know, the special dangers of North Korea, where you have this hermetically sealed, the hermit kingdom. And anytime you get an individual or a group of people who uh, become immune to feedback, hermetically sealed, there's a natural tendency to go crazy in that kind of a a container. And... um, and I, I, I can't say that I was um, reassured at all by an article in the New York Times on Sunday from Carol Giacomo, who is a New York Times reporter who just came back from North Korea. And she said, after four days in North Korea, I am not at all sure that this standoff will end well. It was unsettling to hear ordinary North Koreans talk of war with calm acceptance and by their government's propaganda happy talk about certain victory over the United States. So that's where it starts getting scary. That's where it has, uh, I think, permeated the skin of even the mainstream Republicans, of which there are many. Uh, and, we'll, uh, and, and again, I'm noticing a ratcheting up in that consciousness that um, is just what the founding fathers intended. Uh, and, and, and let's remember that the founding father, Donald Trump, would not be a, uh, a, a, a surprising or new character to the founding fathers. That's, he was precisely who they were thinking about when they wrote the Constitution. So let's hope it continues to work. So there we go. Uh, I think that'll do it for today. Uh, and um, what fun. <laughs>